Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son. I promise, Mark Schwarzer, you will creep up that list eventually. I think what you might need to do is just go back to Australia for a couple of days. You know, wear, wear your old Socceroos gear. Just make sure that they know that you haven't lost touch, and then you might become, who knows, second favourite son? I mean... You never know. Maybe one your first favourite son. Who knows? Oh, sorry, sorry. Were you talking to me, mate? I, I just wasn't listening to you. I, I just I've switched off most of the time when you start this episode. You because, do, you do, don't you? Yeah. You, you go into like autopilot mode. You just yeah. Go, when do I, I have to speak? Yeah. Yeah. Only because I just know it's coming and it's just monotonous and you know I don't think I mean I try I try to be nice to you all the time but you you, you, yeah. you keep slapping me in the face. What I'll do next week is I'll just catch you out and I'll introduce you as welcome back to the Two Sharp Reds myself, the poorly presented host Ollie Gill, and my favourite Australian footballer Mark Schwarzer, and you, you won't know what's going on. Should we just cut that and use that now as the start of the episode? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, done. Love it, uh, Mark. Uh, before we get into the football, geez, there's plenty to talk about, uh, but uh, let's get into the wine. So if you are a first time listener of the Two Sharp Reds. We normally will taste a different uh, red wine every episode and then try and compare it to a player past or present. This week, Mark, uh, I've taken a trip to, uh, I, you know, just for, for marketing purposes, I won't say the store, but it's a, it's a slightly cheaper store, and that is where you can honestly find some absolute icons when it comes to the Burgundy Grape. And I've gone for a very uh, cheap but respectable uh, bottle here. It's the Jean Lafort Fixen. Uh, and it is a, a Pinot, and it says here on the back, I'm just reading, it says that it's a deeply, it's a deeply coloured red for a Pinot with a good tannic structure. This classic red burgundy has notes of small red blackberry and twisting of licorice combined with characteristic savoury aromas. So when I say that, I mean, Mark, that's got a bit of everything. There, that, there's nothing in there that you don't want. Mate, it sounds brilliant. It's right up my street. It's a Pinot. I, I'm right there. Absolutely brilliant, um, and I'm really looking forward to this one. So with a Pinot, um, what do you normally have that with? Is it, for you, is that more of just a sipping wine, as, a, as opposed to when we talk about, you know, when we try Shiraz and we like to, to have a steak or some red meat with this? Is, is Pinot a bit of a, I don't know, a cheese wine or just on its own? Yeah, it definitely goes well with cheese. Um, it goes very, very well on its own because it's such an easy drink. It, I always find them generally a lot smoother, and uh, they just that you can you can have a bit of a guzzle, you can sip. It, it's just a, a an all round easy drinkable bottle of red wine. Well, Mark, let's get into it. Cheers. 
So let's start with Liverpool, Mark, because they now need six points to win the Premier League. There's so much to dissect from this game uh, off the park as well, which is uh, always interesting when that happens. But they did get their their 2-1 win over Bournemouth. Pretty routine, but geez, I tell you what, as we've been touching on the last few episodes... They've started to become really touch and go, and I know they only need, uh, so that's now two wins that they need, but they do look like they're starting to get a bit nervous, and they just, I bet they just cannot wait until it's official and they can relax and it's just a weight off their shoulders. Yeah, I think so. You know what it is? It's becoming that point of the season now where they're obviously so close, like you're saying. They're a little bit twitchy. Um, the run of form hasn't been as great as, as, as what it had been earlier on. The performances have dipped a little bit, um, and... It's always that team. That team doesn't want to be the team. So it's Bournemouth. They don't want to roll over and just allow Liverpool to run away with it. You know, the next team, Everton, you know, they won't want to lose. They won't want to give Liverpool that extra little, uh, um, you know, step closer to winning the title. They want to try and prolong it even an extra, extra week or two. So it becomes that time of the season where every team they come up against don't want to be that team that, that basically gifts them the title. So from your perspective as a player, if I, so if I'm looking at the table now, for example, in the last few weeks, back to when Liverpool played Norwich, they did, they did win that game, but Norwich really pushed them. Uh, they they uh, had Bournemouth on the weekend, as we said, and they're currently 18th. They lost to Watford, who are 17th, and were pushed at home to right into the final whistle by West Ham, who are 16th. So all of these teams that have either beaten them or pushed them right until the end uh, have, you know, they're well and truly in the relegation battle. So if you're for, if you um, played for Liverpool, Mark, and you're in this position, would you rather be playing Man City, Leicester, and Chelsea at the moment, or would you rather be playing, uh, you know, a side that's almost got nothing to lose and they just go down like a really hungry, feisty dog? I think you still look forward to playing a team that, uh, you know, even down the bottom half of the table, because you know you're in for a proper a proper fight. Um, I mean, I suppose that the teams that Liverpool would have possibly be hoping to play are the teams in mid, mid-table, like your, your Palace, your Burnley, um, that are kind of already, they're pretty safe. You know, they're there or thereabouts. Everton are not far off. But the only problem with Everton is that rivalry. They're not going to roll over no matter what. So they're, probably they're the two teams. Burnley or Palace is the ones that you want to be playing right now. Um, the rest, like you just mentioned there, whether it was, you know, whether it's uh, West Ham, Watford, Bournemouth, they are teams who are fighting for their lives. So it's 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 a real battle on. And if if Liverpool are not completely switched on right on their game, you know, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna make a really really tough game of it. Um, and I think we've found that a little bit. You know, whether it's a bit of fatigue, mental fatigue, whether it's a bit of you know, it's been so not. It, it looks from the outside, it's been so easy the way that they've because it's not. What they've accomplished is remarkable so far, Liverpool. But they've made it look easy. They've also grounded out results when they've, they've needed to. So there, there's a bit of a perception that you kind of think, well, now it's getting a bit tougher for them and they're struggling a bit. No, it's actually been, it's been tough from day one. They've continued that momentum. They've, they've surged ahead and they've, they are in a position where they are because they deserve to be. Um, it's just now getting it over the line. They will. It's inevitable. It's gonna, they're going to be champions. And... I think the pressure is kind of almost there from the outside and the circus is from the media is kind of being uh, created because they're like, well, they can become the, the, the team to win the title in the quickest time ever. And, and so there's more records to be had. So there's a bit of a little pressure from the outside. Whether that affects the team or not, um, sometimes it may, but generally it probably it, it wouldn't. 
it's just more about I think they just look a little bit tired. So looking at that game in particular, uh, away from the performance, one thing that, that caught our eye in particular was Harry Wilson, who's on loan from Bournemouth, sorry, from Liverpool at Bournemouth. Uh, he obviously couldn't play in that game because you're in, ineligible to play against your parent club, but he was at the game, and he was seen on the TV wearing a Liverpool uh, puffer jacket. And he, he took to Twitter afterwards, admittedly, and said, look, don't, you know, essentially in so many words... Don't read into it. You know, I was cold, didn't want to bother the staff, and, and the Liverpool guys offered me a jacket. Uh, but, when Mark, when you're on loan, you are representing two clubs, you know, in so many ways. You know, you, you're playing for a certain club, but you need to respect um, the, the club that owns you. And, and in this scenario, I can absolutely sympathise with Bournemouth fans who must be sitting there thinking, well... He doesn't want to be here. Clearly, like get rid of him. Like it just, it's for me. I I totally understand where Harry's coming from. In a sense, he's just gone. Look, I just took a jacket, got it on. I was cold, but it's such a responsibility when you're representing two clubs. You just have to do so. Yeah, I mean, listen. First and foremost, he's representing Bournemouth because that's who he's under contract with at the moment. So his first number one priority is to represent them. Obviously, there's the, there's the fact that Liverpool are his parent club. But the minute you sign on loan somewhere, you become that player for that period of time. So you, you have to respect that team, those fans. And unfortunately, whether it was an innocent sort of kind of mistake, uh, an innocent gesture, un- unfortunately, I can understand also why the fans are upset with him. And, you know, Bournemouth are fighting for their lives. They want people that yeah. are, are fully committed. And for their, their, their all, all intended purposes is that he, he looks like a player that's not as committed to the club as, if, as, if they, uh, or as they would like. And, I, and, I, kind of, and I, I completely understand the Bournemouth fans being upset about it. I think it was a bad, a bad uh, call on judgment there from, from Harry Wilson. Um, and, and what he's best off doing is going, listen, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I realise now in hindsight it was the wrong thing to do. Even though Liverpool are my parent club, I am there representing Bournemouth. And, and, and that's how I think he should have addressed it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. When you look at that tweet, it wasn't really apologetic in a sense. He, he you know, acknowledged it, which was the correct move. But an apology from a Bournemouth fan's perspective would have gone a long way. But then you, the other side of it, you go, OK, well, if that story is true, exactly how, it, how he sort of pictured it, you know, someone just offered him the jacket from the club. Is it from also Liverpool's perspective a little bit cheeky that they've gone out of their way to do so well have they gone out of their way that's the big question you know we don't really know the full story uh, was it simple case that the jacket was there it was accessible it was easy for him to, to get it it could well have been I, I, I don't think I, I listen I don't think Liverpool have done it on any there's, I don't think there's any intent there to upset anyone I just think they're thinking well they know him it's, it's one of their players ultimately here's a jacket you're looking really really cold what he should have said was no listen you know what I've got to wear a Bournemouth one I, you know, it wouldn't go down very well and I, and I think that's just a little bit of inexperience potentially um, and not realising the, the current position and the atmosphere and the climate that he's in I always find it quite offensive when I do this podcast with you and you always insist on wearing your Chelsea jacket just to rub it in I just go, well, you don't need to do that. So I totally understand where jackets can be offensive. Yeah, but at least, you know, at least I'm not uh, wearing it when I'm actually under contract with another club. Or, yeah, you know, true. I'm on loan somewhere or anything like that. I mean, wearing it because, you know, it was one of my last clubs I played for. You know, and on other occasions, I might, I may wear a Leicester jacket or, or even my, my old playing shirt. Well, actually, not my playing shirt, the shirt that I sat on the I bench with. I would love that. You know, I, something can, like that. The next... 
the next episode, or indeed the next time we've got a guest on the show, can you just be in full kit, everything, boots, well, I won't beds, have, gloves, The thing is, I don't, have, I don't have shorts and socks from, from my previous clubs. I only, have, I only have jerseys. Well, I can go down to Sports Directing and pick a, <laughs> you know, pick a couple up for I, you. I, you I, like. Are you like advertising uh, that sports company now? Yes, correct. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Mike Ashley, very close. <laughs> Mark, let's uh, look at European football for a second, and we've spoken a little bit, but not too much, about the effects that coronavirus is starting to have on Europe, of course, as a whole, but from a sports perspective, we saw the game in Serie A between Inter and Juventus was played behind closed doors. There's so much to, to read into this in the sense that, geez, it was eerie. It was really uncomfortable to watch and I'm sure I can only imagine what it would be like as a player, you know, normally expecting this white noise of just deafening chanting and and just, just noise everywhere and then all of a sudden you've got nothing. And it was really eerie, but I've got to ask you, Mark, from... I mean, I wouldn't ask you from a, a medical standpoint because I wouldn't trust you with a Band-Aid. But, you know, if you, got, if, if you sort of had the choice in this scenario, let's say if the virus spreads at, an, at more of an alarming rate, is it better to not just postpone the league and put, you know, the year out of whack a little bit rather than play these games behind closed doors, which will inevitably affect home performances and away performances? Well, I just get the sense that, you know, a, a team that, that that's playing at home but needs a big game against Juventus and they come and then all of a sudden, you know, there's no intimidating away fans, then all of a sudden Juventus can kind of just run all over them and that might be a game that, that otherwise they might have nicked a point from. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit unfair uh, to not be able to play a game in front of your own crowd if, if, if you happen to be playing at home that weekend. Um, because you are going to lose a bit of an advantage, definitely. It goes without saying. I mean, this, I've, played in, I've played in empty stadiums whereby it's either been a reserve grade game or it's been uh, a training game that you play on the main stadium. And it's so different because you can hear every single person's voice uh, on that football pitch. And you can hear your voice echoing around the stadium. And it's really bizarre. Obviously, on match day, you're shouting, you're screaming, and people hear you. But you're not hearing it back on yourself. So it's, it's, pretty, it's very normal and it doesn't affect you because you're so used to it. When you're playing in an empty stadium, it's weird. It, and, it's, and it is tough sometimes to, to get that little bit of extra motivation. You, know, you can't underestimate how big an influence fans can have. Whether it's away fans or whether it's home fans, it's, it's enormous. Um, but the other thing is, on the other side of things, you know, we don't know how big this, this, this virus is. And it's obviously highly contagious and it's spreading at a rate of knots. And the problem is, if they start postponing matches and you've got the Euros coming up in the summer, and if, say, we, we go down one month, two months down the track, where do you fit games in? There's European games on, there's cup games, there's league games. Where do they fit them in? It comes to a point, there'll come a point of the year where they physically couldn't fit in the games without playing three or four games a week between that point and the end of the season before the Euros start. So, I don't know. We're in a very, we're in a very delicate position right now. Um, I think from a, from a perspective of actually being able to fulfil a season, they've got to try and play games um, w- when they can in the safest possible way. That If that means having to play the games behind closed doors, then I think that's what they're going to have to do um, just to be able to fulfil the season. 
the other standpoint from from what you know this this virus is doing with, that I find sort of a little bit confusing and is you know now that we don't we're, we're not allowed to shake hands when the two teams you know cross each other before the game but then immediately we're <laughs> bumping into the you know everyone's bumping into each other and they're tackling and they're got their hands everywhere and you just go there will come a point with this thing that it's terrifying because you go maybe maybe they will just have to stop the games because if we're already at the stage of not being able to to perform handshakes you go well yeah but then we're then you know jumping on everyone we're tackling we're doing this and doing that i i think the the best course of action is to just almost just change the year like let's let's pretend that it's not from january to december you might have to just almost completely shift the time of year because it just feels like it it's getting to a point where this advantage is being lost and we're forcing it because we think it needs to happen when let's be honest we love football mark but it's not the first priority, right? You yeah, know, so, so the only thing I think you could do then, the only thing I can think you could do is you actually stop the leagues and you either you either declare at a certain point in the season that that's who the winner is and they're the teams that get relegated, which has monumental ramifications, or you make that season null and void. And you go, you know what? It's a season where, unfortunately, we can't fulfil. Therefore... It just stays. We go off the back of the last season's, uh, not the back of the last season's results, but those teams will go into Europe again, which is completely unfair in a lot of ways. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you would fix it. Um, how you would uh, maybe maybe you reduce the number of games. Maybe that's what they're going to have to do. I, I really don't know. Um, and maybe it, it might be one of the, like one of those preseason tournaments you end up playing, where I've gone to Turkey and played a preseason tournament with with Chelsea, and you play forty five minutes. A, uh, a half against against two different teams. <laughs> Amazing! I can't even get my head around that. But it, it was it was an eerie thing to watch. But in particular, there was a, a really positive storyline out of it. also a very great game between Inter and Juventus. But Ronaldo has now clocked over a thousand career games. Uh, I mean, he is one of the finest of fine wines. He defines what it means to get better with age. So he's now got 1,000 career games, 836 club games, uh, 626 club goals, 164 Portuguese caps, 99 Portugal goals, so I'm sure he wants to get that magic 100 at the Euros, and five Ballon d'Ors, if you do not mind. I mean, this guy's had one hell of a career. What happens if the Euros get cancelled and he doesn't get to fulfil those 100 goals? And then he gets then injured had, and, he, and he can't play anymore for Portugal and he has to retire. Then, he, then he's had a, a pretty average career, I say. Oh, I absolutely. Think, uh, Definitely yeah. a big cross against his name. Listen, yeah. I think first and foremost there should be disciplinary action taken against him from the weekend's performance. To actually go and high-five an imaginary supporter in the stands, <laughs> he could have easily have spread the coronavirus and we could have been in a lot greater bother than we currently are. I mean, how do we look at this from Ronaldo's perspective? I mean, one thing that... that sort of bores me if I was to be totally honest is the Messi-Ronaldo debate but in in the greater scheme of things it's tough because they're so different in so many ways but from your perspective as someone who who has a far greater understanding of what goes into every single minute of a game how can I appreciate Ronaldo more than I already do because I would be guilty of admitting that I only get to watch highlights and everyone everyone's highlights uh, highlight reel looks fantastic that's just the very nature of it you should see Olivier Giroud's highlight reel <laughs> you would have thought he'd won about 11 Ballon d'Ors but you know I, I, I struggle to to 
grasp the concept of just how good Ronaldo really is? I mean, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, listen, they're two very different players. I mean, Ronaldo's evolution from being a winger, wide player, to then being a striker, and he's older than Messi, uh, to continue to play at the level he's playing at, and now to be an out-and-out striker and bang the goals still in, is quite remarkable. But I will say that Lionel Messi has just overtaken Cristiano Ronaldo as the all-time record goalscorer in Europe's top five leagues, with goal number 438 against Real Sociedad on the weekend. I mean, that's not bad going, is it? 438 no, right. goals. I mean, listen, I reckon, I reckon if he keeps going, working hard, he may be a decent player one day. <laughs> Mark, halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. How are you enjoying your Pinot? I mean, I know we've been very Shiraz heavy over the last couple of weeks, so I thought it was important to, to go back into your corner. No, you know what? I'm really enjoying it. It's nice. It's smooth. It's relaxing. Um, and it's something that, uh, like I said, I, I, I just, I find it really relaxing to drink a Pinot. There's, there's no real edges on it. It's, uh, it's very, it's a, it's a nice, it's always got hints of different flavors in it. And uh, I, I just find it relaxes me a real lot. Does that suggest then that other wines tend to make you more tense? Not tense, but the flavors are, are longer lasting. And it's, it's, uh, it tends to... It tends to maybe go down with a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, uh, well, I suppose with some with some hiccups. I suppose um, with it, it touches the sides quite a bit. It leaves different types of flavours in different parts of your your mouth, and it can be longer lasting. And it may not necessarily, or it may take over time before your taste buds adapt to it, and then it becomes a more enjoyable drink for me. Sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to get to get those first couple of sips down and and in an enjoyable way. Uh, Mark, something happened on Twitter, by the way. uh, I'm sure there's lots of things that have happened on Twitter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) I'll rephrase that. There's been plenty happening on Twitter, but one thing, one thing got me. Uh, A young lad named Matthew uh, from Australia uh, was in conversation with Optus Sport on Twitter about uh, podcasts, and he wasn't aware of our show. Yes. Uh, So he says uh, (laughs) in a tweet here, I wasn't aware of the show. I know what you're going to say. I just know what you're going to say. (laughs) But I'll I'll listen to the episode on the way to work tomorrow. I'm not much of a fan of Mark Schwarzer after his time wasting against my Reds on that very heartbreaking Gerard slip day. But Ollie Gill is cool, so I'll download the podcast. I mean, what were your immediate thoughts when you saw that? You saw my response. Crying eyes. Is yeah, that... no, it was just crying with laughter. I thought it was, I thought it was priceless. I thought it was absolutely priceless, absolutely brilliant. For once, you've got a bit of positive response on, on, on Twitter. Ollie, I mean, I try my hardest. I try and like all your photos, all your posts, yeah, and everything else to try and give you a bit of, uh, bit of a, you know, a, a G up. 
Um, and uh, listen, I didn't expect anything differently from a, from a Liverpool fan, and particularly one from Australia, because they are very, very sensitive when it comes to, to their side. Well, I disagree completely, Matthew. I, I couldn't agree with you more if I tried. I mean, the fact is that Matthew didn't even say, I was very good at my job, but he said, but he's cool. And that's yeah. the bit that I, just, I thought, I mean, well, well, thank you, Matthew. That's another reason why you see the, the emojis of me crying with laughter. Because if he's saying that you're cool, I yeah. mean, well, what else can I say? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, casual, the casual cowboy that you are, to say that you're cool, not really sure about that one. Mark, let's talk about a disaster class performance against Manchester United from... Edison. So United in the Manchester derby, they won 2-0. Fantastic performance from the Reds. I'm sure that not too many people would have seen that coming. But they now, they're in fifth spot with 45 points. Man City still in second with 57 points. But Edison, I mean, come on, talk me through what must have been going on. Because he is a really strong, consistent goalkeeper. But that game against United was just so left of field. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen him have a performance like that. No, I, I think that's that was his, his, his well, let's let's put it in inverted commas, his worst performance uh, for in, 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 a, in a Manchester City shirt. I, I've not seen him perform that badly. And, and I'm not saying he had a, I mean, yeah, he made two mistakes. So let's, let's you get judged on your mistakes, particularly as a goalkeeper, you, it's led to two direct goals. So it's been a disaster. Um, and But normally, like you said, normally he is so consistent. He's been so good since he's been uh, here in England playing for Manchester City. I just feel, though, of late, and it's the overall Manchester City side, they're a little bit flat. They without You take, take Kevin De Bruyne out of the side, nothing really seems to function um, to the right level, to the level that we're used to seeing from Manchester City. And that's a concern because, you know, roll back the, you know, uh, the clock a year ago, and you could take Kevin De Bruyne out of the side. You could take David Silva out of the side. And the, and the next person who's slotted in, whether it's a Gundogan, whether it's a Bernardo Silva, whoever it is, it, they just took over. And, and they still continue that, that level of performance. Um, for whatever reason, this season, it hasn't been the case. They just look a bit flat. They look a bit disjointed um, at times. You know, they, they have one really good performance, like they did away in Madrid, and then they back it up with this sort of performance. And, 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 it, and it definitely is concerning. You can see Guardiola on the sidelines scratching his head, not knowing how to solve the issue right now. Um, as far as Edison come, goes, listen, the first one, it, it's just, I don't know, I, I think he takes his eye off the ball a little bit. I think he maybe goes down too easily for the ball, thinks he's got this really simply. And next minute, it's gone past him and it's through his, touches his hands, through his hands, under his hands, however it went in, in the end. And, you know, it's, it's a bad goal to concede. Then the second one, I, I get how the second one happens. Listen, he's, they're chasing the game. He's trying to speed the game up. He's trying to, he's trying to throw the ball in, into the path um, of Mendy and unfortunately overthrows it and goes straight uh, to McTominay. And, and you know what? It's a great finish. However, mm. it's a big mistake from, from Edison. And, he, and, and like he, you could see afterwards, you could see clearly he knew it. And he's he's whole, he's got his head in his hands, and he's uh, and he's distraught about the mistake he's made. So, can you paint a, a bit of a word picture and really let's let's take a peep behind uh, the goalkeeping curtain? And and this is a this might be a first for for certainly for me. But you know when a goalkeeper makes a really obvious uh, uh, obviously bad. Uh, 
move, right? And it leads to a goal or it leads to something. And it, let's say it's in the first 20 minutes. And then the same thing, everyone says the same thing. It's well, all he has to do now is put it out of his head and continue, right? And I'm sure that even he you know, would argue that that's what he'd be thinking. But if you've clearly let a goal in and it's 100% your fault, are you still thinking about that for the rest of the 90 minutes? Because I'm convinced that you would be. Yeah, you dip in and out. Of course you do. You, you are. You're, you're, you're kicking yourself. You're, you're, you're giving yourself a proper talking to. And you're, you, you know, you're, you, you almost, and what you got to try and tell yourself, and this is, this is, you know, it's happened to me, you know, throughout my career numerous times when, you know, sometimes then you go and try and chase it, you try and make amends and then you make another mistake because you're doing things that you're not usually, that you would normally never do. Your judgment then is, is then uh, clouded. Um, and, and that's one of the worst things that you can do. The, the the best way of trying to do it is trying to put it to one side. You're not going to be able to put it out of your head completely. You try and put it in a spot where, right, I'm going to deal with that later. And then you try and just focus on the game and finish the game, play the game out that's played out in front of you. Play your game, go back to basics, do everything you know, with that extra, extra bit of com- uh, concentration rather than almost thinking a little bit ahead of yourself. And, and often that's what happens. You, you you go through phases where you're that confident, things are going so well, your movement's great, your handling's great, and you keep going, keep going, and then all of a sudden you go ahead of yourself too far. You're already looking at two moves ahead before you even collect the ball. And that's when mistakes can happen. And it's happened to me in the past where you, you've, you know, someone has a shot, you go, right, the minute it leaves his foot, you go, right, I've got this, it's easy. Right, where am I playing it? Who am I going to play it to? Which angle? Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to run that way, play it that way. I'm going to throw it, kick it, whatever you're going to do. And next minute, before that all happens, you've taken your eye off the ball. The ball bounces in front of you and jumps over your hands, and it's in the back of the net. So it's trying to it's trying to play every situation out as it plays out in front of you. Finish the save. Finish the movement. Don't get ahead of yourself. And that can happen. It's very difficult to put it to, to, to the side. It's very difficult to not allow it to affect you for the remainder of the game. Because ultimately, you may still go on and have a screamer from that point onwards to the end of the game and still lose the game 1-0. And all that people talk about is that one mistake that you've made. But there's more to it. There, 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 you, you've, what you've got to do then, you've got to also give someone the, the credit um, and, and, and also... Um, the, the credit that they deserve for then if they are able to put it to the side and play really really well from that point onwards you've got to say you know what from the mistake they were outstanding but obviously you can't look away from the mistake that's cost their team in the end from a goalkeeper's perspective it's a very different position to obviously everyone else on the pitch the, the sense that so many you know let's just say if you're a winger and you, and you, you, know, you make three or four bad crosses and you know you, you're almost allowed so many second chances, but the strength uh, from the mental side of a goalkeeper must be immense. Do you, through the week, let's say, or, or certainly during your your learning period, where you're you know still quite young, do they do certain things for goalkeepers to make sure you're mentally strong? Because as you said, you make one mistake leads to a goal. It could be one one nil, and you, you you just don't have a chance to to almost rebound from that. I, I think everyone's different. And, and I think, you know, it's, 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 it all walks of life. Everyone's different with dealing with different types of pressure. Generally, goalkeepers can deal with a little bit more pressure or maybe a little bit different type of pressure than an outfield player because of that very reason. 
that you make one mistake and it can be in the back of the net. As that, uh, many outfielders can make a mistake and there's so many people behind them to try and make amends and you rely ultimately in the end on your goalkeeper to try and, and uh, save you in the end. And that happens a lot, right? So for a goalkeeper, I think it really depends on how you bounce back. And over the course of time, generally the experience, the more experienced you are, the more you're able to generally deal with those sort of situations. Um, so, but what happens during the week at training is, you know, you play a lot of, you, you do a lot of sessions at training, whether it's a shooting sessions, whether it's, you know, ball possession sessions where attacker against defense, whether it's small sided goals, a game, sorry. And if you make a mistake, then your teammates let you know that they will give you an earful. And some are worse than others. Some are just serial complainers, serial whingers. Some, some are the great diversion of, of, uh, of responsibility. Right, quick, there's someone to blame. I'm going to blame him. And I've had players like that as well. You know, even on match day where they, you know, you, you, you maybe may make a little mistake and all they do is throw their arms up in the air and, and make it very, very obvious that you've made a mistake and that they're, they're, they're kind of exempt of any responsibility of what you've done. And I hated those teammates. I hated those. I used to have such big arguments with people like that because I used to say to them, you know, if, if you have a problem with the, what I've done, you tell me, tell me, but don't wave your hands about and try and make a big deal out of it and try and make the, you know, exaggerate the mistake even more. To, to exempt yourself from any responsibility because I said ultimately what will happen is you'll make a mistake in the game and if you want me to behave the same way you've done to me I'll do it and I'll make you look like a bigger idiot because I will scream and shout and do all sorts of stuff to, 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 to really make you feel bad so I, I used to always say to people don't treat me like that because I'll do the same to you otherwise it's an interesting one I always witness that you know you see you know, players looking at each other, the arms up in the air, and you just go, it looks a bit childish, but why do they do it? Is it just to, to you know, fulfil themselves or to make sure that, that, you know, say, for example, the manager's watching and they know, well, if they've got their arms up in the air, it mustn't be his fault. I, I think it's even more to do with the fans. It's players' way of, some players' ways of trying to show or, or, or exaggerate the the the... The, the, the feeling that I've done nothing wrong and it's his mistake and that's why we've lost now or that's why we've conceded. It's got nothing to do with me. Well, most of the time, actually, it's probably come from his side. It's probably come from his player, you know, and, and, uh, and, he's, and he's trying to, to deflect. He's trying to say, well, no, it's not, not wasn't my fault. Yeah, he might get past me, but he's got to save it. You know, and that, that's, that's what a lot of them do. Um, and I, like I said to you, I, I used to hate teammates like that and I used to have so many arguments with them. I, I just find that really gutless. Mark, there was a story uh, in the week that I've seen that just warmed the cockles of my footballing heart. And I tell you what, it got me excited for what could happen in the years to come because uh, a man has entered the Guinness Book of Records. Uh, as uh, His name is Zeldon Bahada. He's 75 years of age and he has scored on his debut to become the world's oldest professional footballer. So he plays... Uh, in Egypt in the third tier. Um, it plays for an unbelievable team called October 6. Uh, and in that game, they drew one all against Genius. So, I mean, there's so many things to look into here, Mark. I mean, the story number one is how the hell are you playing football at 75 years of age? But some of these names, October 6 and Genius, they're some of the great team names. Well, absolutely. I mean, October 6 is one of the best days on the planet as well, considering I was born on that day. So, oh, here we go. Yeah, well, you know what? That, that's pretty I, special, isn't it? Um, you know, listen, 75 years old, what is he doing playing 
playing professional football at 75 years old or semi-professional football or whatever, whatever he's doing. How is that even possible? That, that's, in, that's remarkable. I mean, that is quite remarkable. And the other remarkable thing was he was actually injured and it was the 90th minute and they received a penalty and he, and he, got, he stood up, he, got, he stepped up and took the penalty and scored. So he's got to play, he's played 90 minutes, he's got to play another 90 minutes, a full 90 minutes. And if he does so, then he, he qualifies as an entry in the Guinness World Records book, which is pretty amazing. And I want to know, will he then retire or will he continue for the remainder of the season? That's the big question for me. You'd have to keep going, surely. Just keep pushing that record as far as it goes. But I suppose, I'm, I'm not to take anything away from your fantastic position between the sticks, but you've got to admit there's something more impressive about the fact that he's an outfield player. Like, we see it so often. That's you know, half the reason why so many uh, goalkeepers can extend their career, you know, for as long as physically possible because you're not constantly sprinting up and down and being tackled left, right and centre. So it's pretty amazing just from his knees perspective. I mean, my knees have already given way. You know, at 75 years of age, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Um but you know what? Listen, you'd have to watch the game, see how much he's moving, how much, you know, he's just staying there as a statue in the, in the centre circle up front. You never know. Um, but you know what? Still, to go out there, to score a goal, even if it's the, the third or fourth tier in, in Egypt, it's still pretty well, remarkable. Say, do you not really watch much third division Egyptian football? No, it's, it's... not something. I mean, I, mean, I might have to start watching it now. Uh, the big yeah. question, though, is it doesn't come close to, to what the Japanese player is doing. Um, is it Kasu Yoshi Mura? Sure. He's 53 years old and he's still playing professional. He's playing in Division 2 in Japan. Yeah. Yokohama yeah. FC. Um, he's just re-signed again. Uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's going on and on and on, this guy. And he's phenomenal. A bit like this podcast. Uh, yes, yes. So he's, he's played 273 games for Yokohama FC, scored 27 goals. He was on loan, actually, at Sydney FC, where he played four games in 2005. Um, so, yeah, it's a remarkable, remarkable career. So it's up there. I mean, if anything, that's, I mean, that's arguably even better, that he's still playing professional football at that age, at that level in Japan. Mark, I thoroughly enjoyed this bottle of wine. It was, of course, the Jean Lafourte Fixen. I mean, thoughts on the pronunciation out of 10? Uh, probably a two. Two? Yeah. Wow. That's good for you. That is, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, fair enough. But uh, no, it's been, a, it's been a really nice Pinot Noir, as we've touched on. A little bit more up your strata when it comes to uh, you know wines that you like. 2017 vintage very full-bodied uh but i really i really gotta say i enjoyed it and i'll tell you why i enjoyed it is i there's so many different flavors in my mouth because normally with the wines that i like from start to finish it's pretty much the same you know i gotta like the flavor of course but it's very much the same but in this wine i don't know if that's how you found it but it just was very different all the way through for when it, when it comes to picking my player for this week, I, I struggled maybe a little bit. It wasn't as obvious as some other weeks, but the main thing that really got to me was the fact that there were so many different flavors, and, and in particular, the the way that they they say or it says on the on the back here that you you might smell um, twistings of licorice, and that's what really stood out for me. It was this kind of sweet, almost like a lolly. Um, but it was twisting and turning and, and doing all sorts and, and extremely unpredictable. Uh, and so for that, 
Look, I've gone for Neymar. Look, I think this is one of the great wines. It's not going to... It's probably not going to go down in history as the greatest wine that's ever, you know, graced the shelves. But it's so unpredictable. It's exciting. It twists with flavours left, right and centre. And I just really enjoy that it's got these different categories about it that really make it one person and one bottle of wine. But see, if I were going to pick Neymar, I'd be saying that ultimately the wine just always disappoints, though, in the end, because that's Ooh, Neymar. Twisting geez. and turning, has ability, shows glimpses, but then in the end, ultimately, is always disappointing. Or it's the wine that you've dropped on the floor. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah, one yeah. Or the other. It, 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 it fell over. Uh, <laughs> she fell over. She fell over. Anyway, I... <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, I'm, I'm going along the same sort of lines as you. You know, you've got this, this twisting of licorice. That really stuck in my mind. Um, the unpredictability of the different flavours as well. And uh, with that in mind, see, it's, it's a player that I play with at Leicester, who when I first arrived, was he's a pretty quiet sort of guy, and he was pretty relaxed. He had an enormous amount of ability. A lot of players used to give him a lot of stick because he just would either dribble too much for the ball, to try and do too much all the time, lose it, stand still, not chase back, and everything else. And as the season evolved on that unbelievable season, 2015-16 for Leicester City, he became the, like, the most in, one of the most important players. There were three, and he was one of those three. Take one of those three out of the team, and it would have been a very, very different Leicester City side. And this guy, he was, he's twisting and turning and unpredictability from a wide position, or even a floating position, from being out wide to coming inside to going to the other side of the pitch. His ability to dribble the ball past opponents, uh, his, his, his vision. Uh, he's placed mostly with the outside of the foot as well. Left side of player, predominantly, um, was, was phenomenal. And he became... It became, uh, you know, legendary for Leicester City, and obviously now has moved on and plays for for Manchester City, and I think he's had a really, really good season. Still has a little bit to go, but I think he's still got an enormous amount of potential. And I think this red wine's the same. I think it's unpredictable. It has lots of different flavours. It does feel like it's twisting and turning in different directions all the time. But ultimately, I think it's a very, very good bottle of wine. As with this player, very, very good player, and. He doesn't disappoint, unlike your one. And it's Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. He was. That year was... So, he was a magician. And in particular, when you described... When you were describing that, one goal in particular stood out. And I think it was the goal against Chelsea, was it? Where he turned two, two people inside out, inside out, just on, on the edge of the box there and, and curdled it. Curdled, curdled it in. Curdled, curdled it in, it wow. In, <laughs> curdled it into the top, uh, top left-hand corner. And you just go... He just didn't look... Uh, it didn't look like he had a bone structure, if that makes sense. Like, he, he could have just gone in any direction. You know, there, there wasn't such thing as, oh, I can't, you know, pivot on that knee or turn this way. He just would do whatever he wanted. He was fantastic to watch that year. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, and, we're, and I think we're, we've seen him slowly come into his own now at Manchester City. Um, yeah. Maybe the last couple of games hasn't been as good as... Uh, prior to that but I think for the vast majority of the season he's been excellent for them he's been one of the few players that have shown some real consistency throughout the course of the season and he's starting to live up to that expectation and starting to rediscover that form and actually if anything exceed what he was doing at Leicester back then in 2015-16 
Mark, thank you for for sharing this beautiful Burgundy grape with me. Have you got much planned for this afternoon? Um, no, no, not really. Just you know, what finish off this glass of red wine and then uh, casually go about Child doing highlights. Some, yeah, That's maybe watch some highlights of the football. Um, of your and career, uh, looking forward to this week's Champions League football. You know, Liverpool against Atletico Madrid. Will Liverpool get back in this tie? Will Liverpool get through to the next round? Um, if I were a betting man, I'd say absolutely, but you just never know, do you? That's why we love football. Cheers, Mark. Thanks, mate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.